special welcome to you. Welcome to our online viewers as well and those out in the coffee area. Um, if you're here for the first time, special welcome to you. My name's Joe and I get to serve as one of the pastors here at the chapel. And uh, how many of you were here for Night to Shine? Make some noise. That was incredible, right? Yeah, how many of you are like, I'm still tired from dancing for like two hours straight. Man, our honored guests had some energy, that's for sure. And I just thought it was so incredible to see that many uh, honored guests. And we had over 350 volunteers to make that happen. That was just absolutely incredible. Um, before we jump into the message, I want to let you know a little bit about some of the things that are coming up over the next few weeks. Uh, the first one is Parenting 102, which uh, Pastor Jay and myself are going to be teaching. And uh, I have a freshman in college, a senior in high school, and a first grader, so you can be praying for us. And uh, so obviously, like, I haven't figured everything out about parenting, but I've learned a few things. And one of the things that myself and Pastor Jay love to help is helping you answer some of the difficult questions that your kids may have about God, about faith, about the Bible. And so we're going to be answering your kids' tough questions, uh, you know, and issues that they will face. So things like what to do when doubt sneaks into your kids' faith. What to do when your child walks away from Jesus. So we're going to be answering that and even an opportunity for you to ask some questions while you're there. So if you'd like to be a part of that, all you have to do to register is to text the word parenting to the number up on the screen. That's coming up in just a few weeks here at our Sandusky campus on that Saturday morning. The next thing to let you know about is uh, the other spectrum of family life is marriage. And guys, just a public service announcement. Valentine's Day is on Tuesday this week, okay? So before you watch the game tonight, make sure you go out and get something. And don't get that Whitman's heart-shaped box of chocolates because you never know, right? Like Forrest Gump said, you never know what you're going to get because you might get one that has like nougat in it or you might get that one that has toothpaste in it. They're just gross, right? We're talking about parents or marriage. Okay, um, so the, we have a marriage conference coming up, and this is going to be March 10th through 11th. Um, here's some words from Pastor Todd. He said, we're going to have guest speakers, Dr. Greg and Aaron Smalley from Focus on the Family, here for the Resist the Drift marriage conference. And I don't know about you, but that image up on the screen, if we can put that back up there, a lot of times, this is my wife and I, right? You're so exhausted from the end of the night, like she just wants to scroll through TikTok, I want to watch YouTube, and we just end up not connecting with each other. And over the course of marriage, couples can begin to feel disconnected, disillusioned, or even alone in their relationships. So Resist, resist the Drift provides a safe space where couples can laugh, they can learn together, and we're going to give you some power, powerful tools to help you reconnect to go from being roommates back to soulmates. The cost for the conference is only $50 a person, so 100 bucks a couple, couple for that's for both days. And to register, you're just going to text the word marriage to the number up at the screen, and that is also available on the events tab on our, on our website. And space is limited for that, so please take advantage of that soon. Well, this morning we are continuing in our journey through the book of Galatians, which is all about freedom. We're going to be talking about that as well today. And uh, we're going to be looking at verses from chapters 4, verse 8, all the way through chapter 5, verse 15. So if you have your Bible with you, you're going to want to open up to there. If you uh, want to use the YouVersion app or the Dwell app, that's great. And uh, we'll have the text on the screen for you as well. And this is a big chunk of text, and we're not going to be able to get through all of it. But I just want, I want to give... 
I want you to help under, I want to help you to understand exactly what Paul is trying to communicate to the Galatians through this text and also how it applies to you and I today. So to do this effectively, we're going to be jumping around a lot, but, but just stay with me, all right? It's going to be great, I promise. But let's start with this scenario. Have you ever had somebody say this to you? I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. That's worse, right? Like, I'd rather you be mad than disappointed because if someone's angry with you, you can at least try to fix whatever you did once their emotions calm down. And if somebody says they're disappointed in you, a lot of times it's somebody who you really care what they think about you. Maybe it's a parent or a grandparent or a coach or a teacher, somebody who's important in your life. And when it comes to his relationship with the Galatians, Paul, a lot of times, expresses his anger. You know, he's been mad at them because he's called them foolish numerous times. But we've come to a point in Paul's correspondence where he's shifted from anger to pure disappointment. Look at what Paul writes. He says this in Galatians 4, 19 through 20. Oh, my dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again. And they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. I wish I were with you right now so I could change my tone. But at this distance, I don't know, I don't know how else to help you. So, so Paul, is this disappointment is so painful, Paul equates it with the pain of giving birth to a child. And now some of you women may be thinking, Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. And I would agree with you, okay? But, but he's, just, he's saying metaphorically that he's going through so much pain. Why so much pain? And I think, it, I think it says it right here. They will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. You see, the ultimate goal for the Galatians and for you and I as followers of Christ is to become more and more like Jesus. You see, once we say yes to following Jesus, the New Testament teaches that the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit comes to live within us and we partner with God's Spirit for the rest of our lives and through that, God molds us and shapes us until each and every part of our lives resembles Jesus. And for the Galatians, something has interrupted that process. They've drifted from the truth. They've fallen off course and this is painful for Paul who loves them to see. But what happened? How did the Galatians get off course? And how can they get back on course to becoming more like Jesus? Well, through chapters four and five, Paul addresses these struggles with a series of questions. Questions that aren't just for the Galatians to consider, but for you and I to consider as well. Because like the Galatians, it's very easy for us to get off course when it comes to the process of becoming like Jesus. And sometimes this happens so subtly that we don't even recognize it. We don't even realize that it's happening until we're way off course. And since this process is the most important process in our lives, we have to get back on course as quickly as possible. Here's one of the questions that Paul asked the Galatians. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that did not even exist. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? So remember, most of the Galatians were, were not Jews. They, they did not follow the God of Israel, Yahweh. They didn't follow the law of the Old Testament. And, but that doesn't mean that they weren't worshiping something, 
right? Paul reminds them that not only did they worship false gods, the gods that weren't even real, that didn't even exist, that they were enslaved to these gods, meaning that they gave themselves over to these gods in hopes that these gods would give them something, meaning, worth, value, purpose. But instead of that, it tr- they trapped them and robbed them of, the, of what the only true God could give them, and that's freedom. But then the gospel shows up. The story of Jesus and the resurrection shows up and gives the Galatians freedom from that enslavement. And Paul says, knowing this, why would you ever go back to something that took so much from you? Why would you ever go back to the prison that Jesus freed you from? And you're sitting there shaking your head like, yeah, you dumb Galatians. But like, who are we to judge them? Because we do the same thing, don't we? You know, we may not go back to worshiping false pagan gods, but that doesn't mean we don't go back to worshiping something other than God. Because when I say worship, what comes to your mind? Maybe what we just did, you know, a few minutes ago, singing, right? Or maybe it's reading your Bible, being a part of a small group, okay? Being a part of a worship night. We think of those things as worship, but what worship really means, it comes from the word worthship, which is to give worth and significance to something that we believe in turn, will give us ultimate worth and significance. But what we don't realize is that in doing so, we become enslaved to it. And if you don't believe that, here's the test. Just stop and see how that goes. J.D. Greer, he's a pastor. He gives us two examples of this, even though there could be thousands more. If we look to money for our security, it can lead to things like obsessiveness, stinginess, workaholism. Right? If, if financial success or security is your real God, and you may not say it is, but you may function this way, you'll find yourself working crazy hours, you know, doing whatever you have to. That's what you think about. Maybe you compromise some of your Christian values in order to get ahead because that's really the most important thing to you. The second one could be this. If we look to our family for security, it could lead to control, manipulation, codependency, You know, whenever I hear someone say or post online that their kids are their world, and maybe they're just saying that, you know, metaphorically, but if they really believe that, I kind of like freak out a little inside because here's the problem, is your kids were never designed to be your world. They were never designed to bear the full weight of your existence. And not not if, but when your kids mess up, then the thing that gives you value starts to crumble. Bob, the Bob Dylan song, Gotta Serve Somebody, captures this idea in a real clear way. I'm not gonna sing this because I don't wanna ruin the morning. But he says, you may, you, you may be a businessman or some high degree thief. They may call you doctor. They may call you chief. You may be a construction worker working on a home, might be living in a mansion. You might live in a dome. But you're gonna have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil. It might be the Lord. But you're gonna have to serve somebody. Now, we wouldn't say that we bow down to idols, false idols, because we're probably not going to a temple to worship a statue or a relic that we see as God. Because here, our idols are much more sophisticated and sneakier. Pastor Tim Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, which I highly recommend, says an idol is whatever you look at and say in your heart, if I have that, then my life will have meaning. Then I'll know I have value. Then I'll feel significant and secure. All right, now, if you want to know what your real God is, and if you're like me, 
You know, we're in a church where Christians, we would never say, hey, that's my real God. We say that Jesus is our Lord, right? But if you wanna know what your true God is, if you wanna know what your functional street level, day by day God is, just think about that thing that if you lost it, you don't know how you could go on. Maybe it's your career. Maybe it's your title. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your physical health. Could be a lot of things. Could be something very, very good But when it becomes the ultimate thing that gives your life meaning, then it becomes a false idol. Or this, what is your nightmare, right? What what could happen to you that when you even think about it, you start to get anxious, so you you push those thoughts away? That thing could very well be your real God. Tim Keller goes on, the true God of your heart is what your thoughts effortlessly go to when there is nothing else demanding your attention. Right, when I'm not distracted, what do I immediately think about? If I wanna know for me what my real God is, all I have to do is look at where I spend my resources and my time, you know, my money, those types of things, because I would tend to say like, hey, if I looked at my calendar, it kinda looks like I'm the most important thing in my life. I find this on social media a lot, because I spend a lot of time there. Uh, there's a lot of, of followers of Jesus who you may follow on social media, and you know very clearly where they stand politically, right? And that's okay, but you may not know where they stand when it comes to Jesus. You may know all about their achievements or about their successes, but it doesn't really seem that God has a real place in their life. And I'm not judging anybody because I've done these things as well. We all, we have false gods. The Galatians had false gods. Things we think that will give us meaning, hope, security, popularity, but what they actually bring is the opposite. They bring enslavement. And what they also do is force us to keep Jesus just out of reach, at a distance. Now, maybe you're discouraged. You're in a season of your life, and maybe it's been longer than a season. Maybe it's been years because you feel distant from Jesus or you feel like you're not making progress in your faith, even though you're, you're going to church. You know, you're there you're here 52 weeks a year, 53 weeks on a leap year. You know, you're, you're serving children's ministry. You've been on short-term missions. You give faithfully. You read the Bible every day. All of these things. But maybe you're like me, and it just feels like you're going through the motions. And it's tempting for us to blame God when this happens, but maybe it isn't God's fault. Maybe there's something that even, th- even though you're going through the motions, <clears throat> there's something in your heart that has taken God's rightful place in your life or in my life. And here's where I get to get real with you. Because for me, it's my image, it's admiration. You know, as a kid, I was bullied, I was an easy target. I was bullied because I was nerdy, I was overweight, I didn't wear the right clothes, I had glasses so thick I could see the future. And as an, because of that, I became an adult who just railed against that, who would do anything to run away from that image. And I've been on a mission to prove myself, to be better than other people, to be somebody, excuse me, to be a winner, or more importantly, to not be a loser. And when I felt like a loser, it was, I had to do something, so I would turn to all kinds of things, whether it was alcohol, medication, food, just, just anything, distraction, whatever it is, and And I had to do things that were not befitting as a follower of Jesus, taking unnecessary risks, 
neglecting, neglect, neglecting my family, cheating to get to the top, because my image was my God. What people thought about me was so important because I just wanted people to admire me. Here's a really clear story. I used to work at Kalahari. I worked there for a long time, and one of the, my favorite jobs, other than what I do now, was I was a bellman, like a bellhop. I used to help people with their luggage, and you know, we wore a safari outfit to go with the theming of Kalahari. And I remember one time I'm standing there in my safari costume, and I'm watching somebody's luggage, and this guy walks in, and I recognized him because he had graduated a year behind me in high school, but he was very successful. He owned a hotel, and he owned some restaurants, and as he was walking by me, I put my head down so that my hat covered my face because I was afraid he would see me and say, man, what a loser. I own, I own all this real estate, and here's this guy working, living paycheck to paycheck. I thought I was fixed at one time because, you know, I was really heavy once. I was about 300 pounds, and I lost 100 pounds, and I got to be in Men's Health magazine. Some of you are like, wow, that's really cool. What's a magazine? It's kind of like... <laughs> It's kind of like they used to print the internet, all right? But I got to be in Men's Health Magazine, and I was like, man, I've arrived, you know? Like, I, I was getting admiration. My parents were proud of me. All of this stuff, it was really cool. And I was, like, on top of the world, and I was somebody for, like, two weeks. But then I was just a regular guy again. I was just an average Joe, right? But you can bet I'm going to work that story into every conversation I can. Oh, your kid's an honor roll student? Reminds me of that time I was in Men's Health Magazine. This is my 15 minutes of fame. I'm holding on to it. And yet during those times, I was keeping Jesus at a distance because I was honest enough to know that I couldn't say that Jesus was my God while I was chasing my other God, admiration. There was a disconnect because I didn't believe what God had said about me and about you in Ephesians 2.10, God says that we are his masterpiece, his craftsmanship, his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. Do you ever look at yourself and think that you are God's masterpiece? Out of all creation, when God was creating the universe through the, through the six days of creation, he said it is good, it is good, it is good, but he says that you're better than good, you are his masterpiece. And if God says I'm his masterpiece, then any admiration that I get from other people is like throwing Dixie cups of water into the ocean. It doesn't matter. I was so busy trying to be somebody that I missed the reality that I was already God's masterpiece because of Jesus and that he had planned for me something greater. And if I'm honest, I still wrestle with that today. Paul says that anytime we go to something, whether it's admiration or your job or your family, whatever it is for you, and anytime we go to something that we think will give us what only Jesus can give us, it will short-circuit God's ultimate desire in our lives, which is to see Jesus formed in us. So what is it for you? Maybe I ask that question and very clearly something comes to your mind. I know exactly what, you know exactly what it is. And maybe you're sitting here and you're like, man, I'm not sure, but there's got to be something. I want to take a moment just right, right now just to give you a chance to get honest with God. And so would you do me a favor and would you, would you bow your head and just close your eyes for a minute? And in this moment, would you just reach out to God and say, God, what is it in my life that is keeping me from you? What is, what is it in my life that forces me to keep you just out of reach?
God, I pray for myself and everyone here. God, we all, we all have, have this natural inclination to run to false gods. Would you please make those known to us, God? And through the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to do away with those things. In your name, amen. But you see, Paul isn't done here. A little later in chapter 5, Paul asked the Galatians another question that highlights another way that we can veer off the path. He says this, You are running the race so well, who, who held you back from following the truth? Certainly isn't God, for he's the one who called you to freedom. This false teaching is like a little bit of yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. Paul equates the progress the Galatians were making and, and that you and I are making in their faith with a runner who is on course to reach the finish line. But then a group of people that we've been talking about for the past couple weeks called the Judaizers joined them in the race and enticed the Galatians to take a shortcut. However, this ends up taking them completely off course. And Paul then gives an example from the Old Testament a little bit earlier to explain what this looks like. Now, let me say up front, this passage is a little bit complicated, a little bit difficult to understand. And I'm actually thankful to pastors Matt Chandler and J.D. Greer for helping me to grasp some of the complexities. So what I wanted to do is give you a summary of what it's saying in the clearest way that I can so you can see what knocked the Galatians off course. So this is a summary of... of of uh, Galatians chapter four, verses 21 through 31. So God, in the Old Testament, promised Abraham and Sarah a son, uh, and through the son would eventually come Jesus. Now Abraham and Sarah were extremely old at this time. And it took, because they waited for like 15 years and they still didn't have a son, Sarah takes matters into her own hands. Sarah convinces Abraham to have a child with their household servant, Hagar. And the child born out of, this, out of this relationship, his name is Ishmael. However, God, still faithful in his promise, despite their unfaithfulness, delivers on his promise to Abraham and Sarah, and they have a son named Isaac. And the reason that Paul goes back to this account is in verse 23. It says, the son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of, its pro- of, his, of his promise. So basically, Sarah and Abraham didn't, uh, and don't initially wait on God, but instead do things in their own way. So then Abraham's son with Hagar, Ishmael, represents a nation that is opposite of God's promise because they took things into their own hands. In fact, Ishmael is known as a prophet of Islam. But God still delivers on his promise and gives them a son named Isaac. <clears throat> and through Isaac, comes our Savior, Jesus. Now remember, Paul uses this as an example to show the Galatians how they got off course. And the key to figuring out why is in verse 23. It says, in a human attempt. It means running ahead of God to make something happen in your own strength. It's a lack of trust in God. And the consequences of this, of this with the birth of Ishmael are evidence of this. Think about all the times in our lives, when God says, wait on me, and we say, I don't have time to wait on you. We try to force God's hand, and in doing so, we make a decision that leads to consequences, maybe in your workplace, maybe in your friendships, maybe in your family, with our kids, ultimately in our relationship with Jesus. We don't trust God, we trust ourselves, and the results speak for themselves. If you're like me, I just want God to tell me, hey God, Where am I going to be in a year from now or three years or five years from now? And then I'll just figure out the best way to get there, right? The most, like I'm efficient, right? I'll figure out the best way to get there. God is not efficient. 
Because he's going to take you over here and over here and over here because he needs to form in you the character that you need so when you get to that destination, you are able to do what he's calling you to do at that time. And, and, and there's another way that we get off course with Jesus through our own human attempt. Paul equates adding the law to the gospel as one of these examples. Believing in the gospel, trusting in Jesus has done for us, God's, is God's ultimate plan for freedom. Now remember the Judaizers said, oh no, 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 you do, yes, you gotta trust in Jesus, but you also have to obey the law. But following the law, which is a rule-keeping system, in addition to, to trusting Jesus, is a human attempt to try to control and appease God. It does not work. Like we saw with the birth of Ishmael, there are consequences that come with it. And here's how you know if this is you. Have you ever felt like God was unfair because you were doing all the things that you were supposed to do, and yet God still doesn't seem to be doing what he's supposed to do? Right? You follow the rules. You're a good Christian. You know, you, you vote the right way, you're conservative, you know, you go to church, you serve, mission trips, all of these things, and then you still got cancer, or your mom still died, or you still lost your job, or your kids still messed up, right? And you're like, God, this isn't fair. I was a good Christian. You didn't do what you were supposed to do. Or maybe you think, maybe this is you because you think like you're above others, right? Maybe you're like, yes, I'm saved by faith, but I'm also like a pretty decent person, you know, I do the right things, I think the right way, you know, I don't have tattoos or long hair. It's like, I got, like, like yeah, that guy is saved, but not saved right, okay? <laughs> Another symptom is this. The Life Application Bible says it well. It says, because faith expressing itself through love, because faith expresses itself through love, you can check your love for others as a way to monitor your faith. Put it this way, your love for others or lack thereof is a reflection of your relationship with Jesus. And recognizing this is so important. Why? Because maybe you're sitting here and you agree, you understand what I'm saying, you're like, okay, but why is this important? Well, from feeling insecure in your relationship with God to feeling like you aren't good enough, maybe you're trying to manipulate God through religious performance, maybe you've tried to make things happen your own way, and this fails to give us the freedom that Jesus has come to give you. Jesus said in John 10, 10, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that thief could very well be your own attempts to try to make this happen or the false God in your life. But Jesus said, I have come to give you life and give you life abundantly. That's why it's important for you. But I love that Paul shows us exactly why our relationship with Jesus matters for others. Galatians 5, 6 says, what is important is faith expressing itself in love. 5, 13 through 14, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. In these three verses, Paul reminds us of the most important aspect of our faith. It's to receive the unconditional, undeserving, unmerited love of Jesus for ourselves and then extend this kind of love into a broken, a broken world who is desperate to receive it. And as a result, we forgive the unforgivable. Why? Because Jesus has forgiven us even though we deserve judgment. And we love the unlovable. Why? Because Jesus loved us even though we were his enemies church we are the light of the world if broken people can't find hope 
through Jesus expressing his love through us, where are they supposed to go? It's no wonder why Paul is disappointed with the Galatians. He's hurting for them. They started the race so well. They're growing, becoming more like Jesus. And then over time, they're knocked off course. It matters for their own relationship with Jesus, but it also matters for the people around them who need to know Jesus. And Paul wants the Galatians to know, and he wants you and I to know, that it's not too late to get back on track. You know, whether you've been worshiping something other than Jesus, maybe you've trusted in yourself more than you've trusted in God, or maybe you've added rule-keeping to your faith in Jesus and it makes you think that God owes you something or that you're better than the next Christian, God will never give up on us. He will extend an invitation to jump back into the race and keep allowing Jesus to be formed in us. But what does that look like? What's that look like for you tomorrow or next week or next month? I thought of five things that I think are important. The first one is this, is that you have to be honest. You've got to be honest with yourself. Because God already knows what your, what your true God is, but are you honest enough with yourself? I think the second one is to never stop seeking. Never stop seeking. I think it's very easy at times when things are just falling apart to say, you know what, forget it, I'm done. And you throw in the towel. I think the third one is to ask God to examine you. A very, very scary prayer to pray is Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. It's search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. It's scary because when I pray that, I think God will just reveal things through me and then through some Holy Spirit magic, I'll change. But what I've often found is he will bring people into my life who will point out those things and it's humbling and it's embarrassing. The fourth one is to remember. This morning, I was just remembering back at God's faithfulness in my life and where I had come from and where he has brought me now. And maybe it's good for you to remember in your life God's faithfulness despite your unfaithfulness, that he has never, never left you. And the fifth one is to call on others. Are there people in your life who have not only the right but the obligation to point out some things that may be pulling you off course. And will you humbly listen to what they say and not try to defend it or justify it or blame it on something else, but be willing to hear what they have to say and, and to understand that maybe there's some truth to it and then be willing to allow God to continue to change you through that. Let me pray for us. Father God, I stand before you on behalf of this church and myself, admitting to you, God, that we are all, all disposed to run to false gods. God, like the hymn says, my heart, God, prone to wonder. God, we are all prone to wonder. So would you please make known to us, God, the false gods in our lives the times when we've tried to do things out of our own human effort, and God, the, the times that we've tried to use our obedience as a way to manipulate you. And God, would you help us to be honest with ourselves and with you and with others? Would you help us to not quit, to continue to seek you, Jesus? God, would you examine our hearts? Would you point out those things that offend you? Would you help us to remember your faithfulness despite our unfaithfulness? And God, 
would you bring brothers and sisters into our lives who love us enough to say the difficult things, to bring us back on track? We thank you for your grace and for your goodness that you always extend an invitation for us to come back. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for being with us this Sunday. I hope you enjoy your week. We'll see you next weekend.